Father, um, we just want to stop right now in the busyness of this morning and of getting here. We thank you for this chance to sit for a moment and, and do this reading and responsive to get our minds stirred. We thank you for that beautiful Christmas hymn asking you to come. <laughs> oh, come, oh, come, God with us. And that's all. I just want to pray that. I just want to pray that you would come this morning into this moment. I pray that you would help me uh, to be faithful to your word, and I pray that your spirit um, of love, which is very, very real for every one of us in this room, God, would you anoint us and help us to see things that we didn't really grasp before we started this day. In Jesus' name, amen. So you don't sing a song, O come, O come, Emmanuel, right, unless there's a real longing. That, that's a song of longing. It's a song, really, that comes, fits very, very well with the scriptures, with the Old Testament, with Israel, longing, right, for hundreds of years, longing for the Messiah to come. And it was a tough season. They were in exile, right? It was, they were taken away from their homeland. They were suffering. And what's interesting is I'm going to read for you a, a very familiar passage for Christmas. Um, it's an Old Testament prophecy in the book of Isaiah chapter 9. And when I read this, uh, I realized this fits really well our series today. Game on, right? Because when the game is on and when the battle's raging, many times that's when you finally will call, cry out to God and say, okay, God, oh, come, oh, come. God with us. Come be with me right now. That's what they were saying. Here we go. It's Isaiah chapter 9. It says, Nevertheless, that time of darkness and despair, of longing, will not go on. This is good. It will not go on forever. Okay? The land of Zebulun and Naphtali will be humbled, but there will be a time in the future when Galilee of the Gentiles, which lies along the road that runs between the Jordan and the sea, will be filled with glory. The people who walk in darkness see a light. And those who live in a land of deep darkness, a light will shine. You will enlarge the nation of Israel and its people will rejoice. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel. They will rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest. They're like warriors dividing the plunder. For you will break the yoke of their slavery and lift the heavy burden from their shoulders. You will break the oppressor's rod just as you did when you destroyed the army of Midian. The boots of the warrior and the uniforms bloodstained by war, they will all be burned and they will be fuel for the fire. For a child is born to us. A son is given to us. And the government will rest on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting, excuse me, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His government and its peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity. And listen to this. And the passionate commitment of the Lord of Heaven's armies... He will make this happen. 
Guys, this is so cool. I, this is where we're at. This is why it equates to me, the scripture, to where we've been, right? So if, you, if you're new, if you, if you haven't been engaged with us, we've been, taking the, we've been talking all the way from um, November through December in this series called Game On. And just how the Bible is very clear that there is an internal struggle. As Paul said in Romans chapter 7, he goes, What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Right? So he goes, and then he goes on, I can't live the life I want to live. I keep doing the things I don't want to do. And what he's saying is this darkness, right? The people walking in darkness, and maybe some of you, that's you. Like you, you, you feel like you're in a deep darkness. I can't see hope. I can't see change. I can't be the person that I really want to be. And that's what Paul is saying. He goes, who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Because this darkness is destroying me, man. It's, it's destroying my relationships. I'm, my soul is not full of life. Now, it's interesting because as soon as he says, who will rescue me, that means that somebody has to do something that you can't do. That's one, of the, that's one of the first things that all of us in this room to actually experience God doing the rescuing. You just have to realize, I can't do this. Oh, come. Oh, come. Emmanuel. God, be with us. Be with me. I need you. And then what will happen? It says that those who are in darkness are going to see a light. If you are in mourning, there's going to be rejoicing. Why? Here's what Paul says. Here's, here's how it happens. Because there's no condemnation. Because there's no condemnation, and now you have received my spirit. Here's, and, and you guys are lucky, second service, I remember something I didn't get to share with first service. Aren't you glad you slept in? <laughs> it's actually pretty simple. But here's, here's what hit me. There are two things throughout this whole passage when the game is on that keep us from really living. Shame and fear. Shame and fear. Shame totally makes you live in darkness. Because when you feel guilty or you feel you're not good enough or you know you failed, you know you're doing stuff you shouldn't be doing, the very thing you have to do is you have to put up a mask and you have to hide. And as soon as you're doing that, you're not real. You're not being who you are. And it's shame and it's darkness. And when you're living in shame, and believe me, I know, I battle with this. Every human being battles with shame. And so, and when you do, it gets dark in there, doesn't it? Because your mind starts playing tricks. So shame is one thing. The second thing is fear. And what Paul is saying in this, in this passage, he goes, we have to have victory over shame. we got to stop hiding. And we need victory over fear. I think the shame is what we struggle with inside of here, and the fear is everything around us. <laughs> and we see all these things, and we start struggling with what's going on. But he says this, he goes, he goes, but you're not a slave, right? What did, the, what did the Old Testament passage say? It said, you will break their yoke of slavery and you will lift the heavy burden from their shoulders. Anybody want that? Right? And here's what, new, and here, so here's what Paul says is true. This is the game plan in Romans after Jesus Christ, how you can do this. He says, therefore, brothers and sisters, oops, wrong verse. He says, for those who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. And the spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. 
See, so here's the thing. You have a yoke, a bond, a heaviness of slavery, and then the Old Testament says you're walking in darkness, and there's a child who's going to be born. Christmas is actually going to come, and he's going to lift off the yoke of heaviness and of the burden of slavery to sin. He goes, and I'm going to make you my child. And then he says his government, his rule, which just means his rule, and what is it? It's a government of peace will come. So when God reigns in our hearts, when we actually submit to him and let him be the king and we follow him, then all of a sudden peace enters in. And instead of despair, instead of calm, instead of heaviness, it's life in there. Are we okay here? And this says, therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation. <laughs> See, when you have an obligation, it's because, well, because there's a new king. <laughs> okay? So I, there's a new one that I follow. But it's not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you're going to die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you're going to live. And here's where we're going today. So this is all, that's all Romans 7 and Romans 8. Man, I've got to struggle. I'm, I, I, who's going to rescue me? Jesus. Right? Just so you ever know, if the answer is in church, is always Jesus. Okay? But in this case, it really is. Who's going to rescue me? Jesus Christ is. Because he's going to take away any guilt and shame. First, by taking everything you've ever done wrong and in his body on the cross, absorb it. So every time God looks at you, he just sees what? Well, you're good with me. I see no accusation. I see no blemish on you. It's amazing. And then he goes, and then I'm going to fill you with my spirit so you actually have the power to be able to live differently. This is how this is going to work. But here's what's in this. Oh, this message today, I can't wait. When I was studying this thing, man, uh, well, I'll get there in a second. <laughs> but here's, here's what it said in the Old Testament prophecy. The passionate commitment of the Lord of heaven's armies, he will make this happen. He's going to make this happen. So guess what, you guys? Game on, yes, inside of you. But today's message is, here's the title of it, it's impossible to lose. Impossible. And, and, and here's what I want to share with you. Romans 8, for 30 years for me, personally, just in my own walk with Christ, 30 years, this is the chapter I go to. When it's super dark inside me, when I'm facing suffering, when I'm struggling with sin, and I feel the shame and the guilt, and I feel like God has separated himself from me, when things outside of me are coming against me, I read Romans 8, and then I read it again, and I read it again, and I'll read it again, and I'll read it again. I've been doing that for 30 years. And this week, this is what I love about the Bible, this week I'm sitting with this passage, and I realize I still didn't even see the depth of the riches of the reality. I'm telling you, this is what you're going to hear in this. And so if you're not a Christian, I'm so glad you showed up today. Because if you're struggling with life and it's not what you want it to be, what you're going to hear today is if you get Jesus Christ inside your heart, it's impossible to lose. <laughs> I, and, and that is what most of us including me, struggle to actually believe, okay? So here's where we're going. And you guys know this, the greatest victories, the greatest victories aren't blowouts, right? The greatest victories are comebacks. That's why I'm wearing this sweater, right? Don't you guys love me? 
Check that out, huh? Uh, I saw that. <laughs> People were like, man, that looks like lion's colors. That ain't just lion's colors, man. That's a lion. <laughs> Which means it's ugly. So that's why. No, but, but, but here's the truth. The lions don't blow anybody out. But last year, Matthew Stafford, he led the lions, broke an NFL record in comebacks. Now, if you have to come back, that means when it's halftime, you're what? Yeah, yeah you're losing. <laughs> you're getting beat up. Every, the momentum is tanking. You don't have confidence anymore. And you walk into the locker room, and what needs to happen in that locker room? You better have a coach who can look at you and give you the halftime speech of your life, right? He needs to be able to tell you what's true. He needs to be able to lift your spirits. He needs to help you forget the first half that you just played, and he needs to cast a vision to you of the second half. And you need to walk out of the locker room going, yeah. we're going to win, <laughs> right? I'm telling you, Romans 8 is Jesus Christ's locker room speech. <laughs> This is really what it is. And these last verses are the crescendo. He's finally helping you to see, what a wretched man I am. I'm a loser. I can't do this. I do the things I don't want to do. All right. But there's no condemnation if you're in Christ. And my spirit is inside of you. And now you're my child. And if you're my child, I lead you by my spirit. You're not alone anymore. And if you're my child, you're my heir. And he keeps going on. And then he hits these verses and he says, and if that's not enough, can I just tell you something? Let me give you a secret. You're not going to lose. It's absolutely impossible to lose. This is crazy. It's, it's a bold claim. But let me show you how it's true. I'm calling this the Magnificent Seven. Anybody ever see that movie? Okay. The Magnificent Seven, right? What happens? I mean, there's these poor townspeople who are being overtaken by the bad guys. In the morning, right? The Magnificent Seven come in, and they're going to save the day. It's perfect because you and I are like the townspeople. I can't beat this thing. I'm going to lose. And here comes Jesus Christ on his white horse. All right, here we go. <laughs> these are God's seven promises Seven promises in these verses. And if you will take these to heart, you're going to find out you can't lose. Here's the first one. All things are for the good. Okay? Now, what you're going to see in this, Paul uses superlatives. It's like he's trying to, I mean, he's using the most extravagant words he can, he can use so that we'll understand how amazing this is. And the first thing he says is that all things are for the good. Would you guys, let's all say this together. All things for the good, right? Now, if you're a Christian for very long, you learn this verse. If, you have, if you're not a Christian or if you're brand new, write this one down and memorize this. We know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Now, let me just show you, this is really important. What this verse is not saying is that things work together for the good. Notice it. It doesn't say all things work together for the good. Things don't work for the good. <laughs> See, this is one of the first things you realize as a Christian. Christians don't expect. Christians aren't shocked when there are tragedies or hardships of life because we don't expect things to work for the good. This verse says not that things work for the good. It says what? God works in all things for the good. So just, so partly what you can know is, so any, right, he's been trying to say, any suffering. So here's your fear. We have stuff happen in our lives, and immediately we're afraid. 
And we go, why is this happening? What's going to take place? How am I going to get through this? Whether that's a physical illness or a relational struggle or whatever's going on, we have fear. And God looks at us and he goes, hold on a second. If you're my child, right, because what it says, he does this for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. He goes, if you're my child, everything that's going on inside you right now, everything that's going on outside of you right now, God's like, I'm working. I'm working. So what is this thing saying? Listen to this. There is nothing going on right now in your life that God is not working in for the good. Come on. Seriously. Now, now I'll be honest with you. Most of the time, I don't believe that. Anybody else? Because this looks ugly and I'm afraid. But God, God is saying is, and this is what we have to believe. The first promise is he's telling you there is nothing going on in your life that I'm not working in. And I'm working for the good. Now, here's the other thing that says. It's for the good of who? For those who love him. Okay? Now, because, because now, now here's the deal. God loves everybody. But there's a lot of people who don't love God. <laughs> okay? Now, I, one guy, he said, why would he say that I'm actually doing this for those who love me? Because, here's the, here's the truth. When you love God, okay, and adversity comes into your life, you know what you do? You hold on to it. You hold on to him. Because you love him, right? It's just like I hold on to Susie. I hold on to my kids because I love them even when things are going really hard and difficult. But if you actually, let's say you're trusting God, but really what you're wanting God to do is make your life better, okay? So if you're really just trusting God and saying, hey, God, but here's the deal. I want you to work for me. See, then when adversity comes, we bail on God, <laughs> Because like, wait a second, you're not coming through. I, I thought you were going to do good stuff. Like, you know, help me get a good job and, and help me to find a place to live. You help me to find a spouse. I thought you were going to, like, keep me healthy all the time. <laughs> See, and so then when adversity or suffering, when things in life don't happen the way we want to, if we don't love God, then we get really angry at God and we just take off. <laughs> and so what God says is, hold on, so here's the deal. If you love me, then here's what I know. You and I... We're going to hang together. And here's what's going to happen. I'm actually going to work in everything that's going on for your good. Here's the second thing. It says, for those who are called to his purpose. It's hit, you guys, this is so important. It's not your purpose. See, God doesn't work in all things for the good of those who love him for, your, for their purpose. He's doing all of this for his purpose. And here's what you can know, and this is so important. Everything is going on right now. Everything. God is like, I'm working in this for what I know is good. For what I know is good. And for my purpose for you. And I tell you, this is difficult, but this is huge. Because I don't know, can anybody else say parenting? Right? Because this is parenting. Because many times, the good that I'm working for my kids, they can't see. Right? It isn't good. Doing chores are not good. No, they really are. I know they're not fun, but they're good because they're creating within you an integrity and a character that's going to help you for the rest of your life. 
See, that's the type of thing that you need to understand. When God says, I work together in all things for your good, it's for your good that God knows is good. It's not what you want. It's what he wants. But can I just tell you, here's the first promise. How, because you sit there and you go, but man, life is tough and things aren't going bad. People are against me and, and I'm struggling and everything seems to be falling apart around me. And God goes, and I'm in every one of those things and I'm working for your good. If that's true, you know what's true? It's impossible for you to lose. <laughs> it literally is impossible for you to lose. Why? Because you're so great? No, because he's so great. And because God fulfills his promise and his promises, I'm working for your good. Okay, here's the second one. All things, again, lead to glory. Okay, let's all let's say this one again. All things lead to glory. Okay, look at this one. For those that God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. Okay. No, some of you just saw those words, foreknowledge and predestined, and you're like, okay, well, you know, you got to, you're going to get into all that, Nelson? No, I'm not going to get into all that, all right? Sorry for spitting on you. Um, <laughs> No, seriously, for 2,000 years, people have been trying to figure out what does it mean for God to have foreknowledge and what does it mean to be predestined. Listen, that's, we could do, by the way, we could do a whole message on, we, maybe we will, we could do a seven-week series on every one of these. I just need to get into this. But here's what God is saying. In these verses, what's happening here is God is defining what his purpose is. And he's defining, when he says, I'm going to work for the good, he's telling you what the good is. So God is not saying again that he'll work in all things to make your life easier and more comfortable. It's not ever what he's saying. What he's saying is that he will work in all things to conform you to the image of his son. That's God's commitment to you. And you know what? We often don't think that's good. <laughs> Again, just like our kids don't think that these things are good, but they are because we love them, right? So the experience, you guys, this is so key. The key to experiencing true victory is that when stuff's going on in your life, the game is on and it's raging and you feel like giving up and you've got shame because you, you're not good enough or you've got fear about everything that's going on around you. What God is saying to you and me is, listen, I, you can know this, I am absolutely committed to conforming you to the image of Jesus. That's what I'm doing. And this is really important for us to understand. So, and look what it says. It says to be conformed to the image of his son that we might be the first, that he might be, excuse me, the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. Right? Because we're adopted into the family. But when we get into the family, we're not just legally adopted the scripture also says that we're born of his spirit. That's like his DNA gets inside of us. And when God's DNA, his spirit gets inside of us, you're not just legally a brother and sister, you actually start to resemble the family. You actually have family resemblance. You actually start to look like Jesus. And so you just need to know, so when people say, well, I'm a follower of Christ, but I don't have to like live like Jesus. Or I don't have to do the things that Jesus does. I can totally do things that aren't of God and still walk with him. No child of God would ever say that. 
Why? Because God's spirit's inside of you. He's transformed you. Now, children of God will say, man, what I just did was not of God. <laughs> what I just did was completely opposite of what Jesus wants me to do. But one who's filled with the spirit will go, oh my God, I got to confess this to him because there's no condemnation because Jesus has forgiven me for everything. But you won't live in it. That's why Paul says, what should we, in, in one chapter earlier in chapter six, he says, what should we say then? Should we go on sinning so grace can increase? Should we just keep doing this because God will give us grace? No! We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? So this is super important. When the game is on and you're struggling, yes, God is working for you, but what he's working in is he actually wants you to be like Jesus, which means you'll be full of love. You'll be full of joy. You'll be full of peace. You'll have inner strength. You'll have hope. You'll have life. And he wants you to have that. So, in this thing, and I'm just going to glance over these, there's five things right in this verse that he does. It says, he foreknew, he foreknew you. Well, that, that literally means, right, God is outside of time. So God can look in, out of, outside of eternity and look down and see your whole life. He goes, I know. Man, I totally know you. And then he goes, and so now I'm going to predestine you to what? What that means is simply he has predetermined a destination for you. Because I knew you before the times of age, before the history actually began. And I predestined for you to be with me forever and to be conformed into the image of Jesus. That's my plan for you. So I'm going to call you. And if you're ever a Christian, you know this. You never found God. He found you. That's, it's just true. It's weird. Like you sit there in a service like this and one day, all of a sudden, your heart just opens up and it trembles inside and you get it for the first time and you realize, God is calling me. And he goes, and when I call you, he goes, I justify you, which means he wipes your record completely clean, okay, totally forgives you of everything. And then what's crazy, he says, and if I've, if I've justified you, he goes, I've glorified you. Now this is the one that's crazy. Because when he talks about glorifying you, he speaks of a future glorification, but he uses a past tense. So in other words, he's saying, it's when I foreknew you and predestined you to be conformed to the image of my son, I called you and, I and then I justified you, guess what? You're glorified. And you're like, have you seen me lately, Jesus? Yeah, he goes, but when you receive Christ, what do you receive? Eternal life. Eternal life. That means what you get is so certain, you know without a shadow of a doubt that when you die, once you receive what God has done in you, you know without a shadow of a doubt that when you die, you're going to spend eternity with him and you are going to be glorified. It's as certain as any part of this chain. Isn't that cool? Now, here's the deal. So if God does all these five things... If he foreknows you, predestines you, chooses you, and then justifies you and glorifies you, then it's impossible to lose. You have everything right there. So all things, what God does lead to your glory. Okay, so that's two. Now that the, uh, the next five we're going to bust through, okay? So follow quick. Number three, no one can be against us. Okay, let's all say this together. No one can be against you. Who can be against you? Nobody. Nobody. Well, I just sit there and I go, actually, I think a lot of people, <laughs> right? It, it, I, I, there's a lot of people who are against me. Are you kidding me? Man, it feels like my own flesh is against me. It feels like the world is constantly battling me. It feels like the enemy's lying to me all the time. And I feel like Paul goes, yeah, yeah, I know, I know. But God is for you. 
See, this is the point. Because everything, yeah, of course there's things against you. But everything that's against you is finite. Everything against you was created. Everything that's against you is under the authority of the almighty God and the risen Jesus Christ. Everything else. So sure, they can rise against you, but Paul's like, okay, cool. But God's for you. John Chrysostom, he was a, a church father in the 300s, 300 AD. Listen to what he says. Yet those that be against us, so far are they from thwarting us at all, that even without their will they become to us the causes of crowns and procurers of countless blessings, so that God's wisdom turns their plots into our salvation and our glory. See how really no one is against us. Is that amazing? Now think about this. How many of you have people against you? Okay. How many of you feel the battle coming against you? But how many of you know God is for you? Okay. So everything that you're afraid. So again, what's hindering you from winning the life? Oh yeah, but these things, they're going to, and I do the same thing, man. I get so afraid. Afraid of not enough finances, afraid of the people who are afraid of conflict, afraid of this. And, and God's like going, I'm not Nelson. Stop it. <laughs> I'm for you. Period. And if God is for you, who can be against you? No one. And if no one can be against you, then what? It's impossible to lose. That's unbelievable. Is that not good? Okay, for half of you. We'll get there. All right, here we go. Number four, God gives us all things. Okay, so let's say this one. God gives us all things. All things. Paul won't stop with the superlatives. Look at this. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? See, remember what we went, when we went through this, what did he say? As soon as you became my kid, as soon as my spirit got inside of you and you're my child, he goes, you're my heir. And again, if you're an heir, that means everything that's God's is yours. And then he says, and let, let, me, let me just make sure you understand this. You're a co-heir with Jesus Christ. So that means everything that Jesus had, your big brother, Jesus, everything that he has is yours. Yeah. Everything. That's amazing. So, so here we go. So what does it say? I, can I just I'm, write down this verse? This is, I, I memorize this one, and I use this all the time in my daily life, okay? It's 2 Peter 1.3. 2 Peter 1.3. Here's what it says. His divine power. Okay, now think about this. Sure, there's other people who have power. Governments have authority, and we're all freaking out about the government. Your boss has power. Other people have power. But his divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him. Did you guys hear this? So here's, what, here's what's happened. When I'm waking up and I'm struggling with a day and I'm failing and I feel like I'm losing, the game is on and I'm struggling, then, here, then I will say this first to myself. Hold on. God's divine power, has, he's already, he already has given me everything I need for life and for godliness through my knowledge of him. So then I just say to myself, okay, Nelson, then right now the problem is you don't know him. You don't know him. And by the way, you can go to seminary and get your master's degree in theology and not know him. 
what I'm saying? You, for Christians, you know this. You can have so much head knowledge about God, but not personally know him. When he's saying, you need to know me, what he's need to say is, you need to have me in this situation. You need my presence in this issue. Are you bringing me in, David? Are you bringing me in? Or are you trying to figure it out? Are you trying to man this situation on yourself? Or are you not leaning on your own understanding, but instead trusting in the Lord with all of your heart? Are you trusting in me? And here's the deal. If I let God in, then I actually know him. And I engage with him. And here's what he's saying. When you know me, you have everything you need. Here's what's true, you guys. If you have everything you need, if God gives you all things, then how in the world can you lose? It's impossible to lose. That's number four. God gives us all things. Here's number five. No one can condemn us. Okay? Let's all say it. No, no one can condemn us. Okay? This is... Anybody out there got people who are condemning you? Anybody have people who are accusing you of things? Okay? Now, here's what's true. We all accuse each other of stuff. It's called the way of the world. See, our minds, apart from God, are always evaluating each other. And we're seeing how well you perform. We see how, how beautiful you are. We see how successful you are. And then we create opinions about you. And then when you don't meet my standard and you're not good enough or you do something wrong, then we accuse, accuse each other. And here's what's so great. Listen to this verse, Romans 8, 33. Who will bring any charge against those that God has chosen? It's God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. So you guys, who can bring a charge against you? And here's what I say. Lots of people actually, right? As soon as you get to know me, here's the problem with being human. If you guys out there that I don't know, I guarantee you, if you get to know me, you know what's going to happen? I'm going to let you down. Anybody else human? You know, this is why we're so scared to actually be vulnerable. This is why some of you are afraid to be in relationship because you know if you actually open yourself up and get next to a human being, they're going to see who you really are. And then the accusations start flying. And we're so scared of that that we just want to keep everybody away. And here's the greatest news in all the world. Who can bring any charge against you? No one. Why? Because God is sitting there as a judge and going, I've already justified this person. And he's the only one that actually matters. Nobody out here is your judge. You only have one. And then he goes on, and this he goes, I know, but God has chosen you and he's justified you. And then he says, and who's going to condemn you? Right? What did Paul say? Who will rescue me? Well, this is interesting. Wretched man that I am. Oh, you guys. Right now today, some of you have so much shame. Some of you are struggling so much. You are so scared of your brokenness and that people are going to see that because people will condemn you. I mean, open up Fox News or CNN and just put it up and everybody who's messing up, and that's what's happening right now. What's going on in the news right now? People are constantly being exposed for their sin and we can't wait to condemn them. And now, can I just ask you, what would happen if the worst thing you've ever done got on Fox News? Right? Aren't you glad that ain't happening? Because we all have that stuff. 
He says, but here's what's great. He says, Christ Jesus who died more than that, who was raised to life. You guys, who condemns you? No one, because Christ Jesus died. In other words, when he was on the cross, he already absorbed your punishment. So there's no punishment for you. This is great news, right? Now that's great news. And he goes, but that's nothing. More than that, more than Jesus Christ dying for your sins, he goes, he rose again. More than that, he was raised to life. And right now, okay, guys, here's what's real. Here's what's real. December 17th, 2017, at 12.22 in the afternoon, Jesus Christ right now is interceding for you. Right now. Right now and every moment. And now, now here's a question. Well, what, what do you mean he's interceding for me? You guys, the intercession is he's your defense attorney. Literally, this is what goes on. You hear, you hear condemnation in your head all the time. Oh, you're a loser. I can't believe you did that. You're a sinner. You, you don't deserve this. And you hear those things. It's like you have a prosecuting attorney who just keeps throwing these accusations at you. And you look at him and you go, I know, I know, right? Because he's right. But over here you have Jesus Christ and he's your defense attorney. And every time the prosecutor comes and tries to accuse you, your defense attorney immediately stands up and goes, but I've already paid for that one. 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 And he keeps trying to find more and more, and he does. And he throws them out. And Jesus, every one of them, he deflects them off and says, that one was in my body too, and it's already been paid for. And the, and the judge goes, bam, you're free, Nelson. That's what's true. So all of you today who are not free because of guilt and shame, can I tell you, if you're a Christian, you just got to fight to believe because no one can condemn you. Nobody. So if nobody can condemn you and nobody can accuse you, then guess what? It's impossible to lose. And we should be living in victory. Okay? And then number six, he kind of wraps the whole thing up and he says, and nothing can separate us from God's love. Okay? Let's all say it. Nothing can separate us from God's love. Come on, man. Some of you, again, you are frozen because of shame. And gospel in, in the Romans 8, this game plan, he's trying to set you free. Yes, the game is on, and the enemy wants you to believe that you are not loved by God because of what you've done. And it is a lie from the pit of hell. Nothing can separate you from his love. Others of you, life is so hard outside of you. You are suffering. Some of you have physical illness and you are behind the light. How could God love me if I'm struggling so much? How could God love me if I'm not financially taken care of? How can God love me with all the relationships? How can God love me with what's How can he? And here's the answer, man. Look at this. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? In other words, what Paul's saying, come on, the worst things that we can suffer, you guys, in the midst of those, Jesus is loving you. And what did he say? And I'm working in all those things to create within you the image of Jesus Christ who suffered himself, who was rejected by people, who had swords stuck in his side and thorns placed on his head, who was, he was hated and rejected. And Jesus Christ is inside of you. And he's saying, you can make it. And you need to know, I love you no matter what you're going through. 
Verse 37 says, no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And then Paul just, he goes, okay, so I've done my best, right? He says, I have done my best to help you to understand. He goes, but just in case that wasn't enough, let me give you one more. He's a great head coach. And here's what he says in verse 38. He goes, I am convinced that neither death nor life. Okay? Come on, man. Are you fearing death? Jesus said, why are you afraid? You're going to come be with me. Relax. Or life. But this life is so hard. That's cool. I'm with you. And I love you. Nothing can separate you from that. I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor depth. Listen, you guys, he just won't stop. Nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, here's what I know. If Christians, actually, if I actually believe this, then no matter what was going on, God's like, Nelson, I so have you. And I'm so with you. And I'm actually working in this. I'm loving you right now. Then you know what? Then I should be at peace. We should be the most peaceful, joyful, exuberant, resting, invigorated people on the planet. And the only reason we're not is because we don't actually believe it. We know it because it's in here. That the challenge is we've got to believe it, man. And here's what's happening. The game is on. You're sitting in the locker room. You feel beat up. You're defeated. You're worn down and tired. And then the coach says, okay, we're going back out because we're going to go back out here a little bit. He goes, let me tell you number seven, last one. It's impossible for you to lose. You're going to go out second half. And I know, man, you you were horrible that first half. So we're going to go out second half. And you are going to win. You are more than a conqueror. This is, this is what he's telling us. This is your halftime speech. More than conquerors. No, in all these things. There he is. I don't care if it's your own sin and your own failures and your own shame. I don't care if it's the people around you who are bugging you or tearing you down or if it's the government who won't do what you want them to do. I don't care what it is. In all those things, you, my friend, you, my son, you, my daughter, are more than conquerors. So, listen to this. In all things, God's working for your good. God foreknew you, he predestined you, he called you, he justified you, and he's already glorified you. God is for you, and no one can be against you. He graciously gives you everything that you need for life and godliness. No one can accuse you or condemn you, because God has justified you, and Jesus is interceding for you, and nothing can separate you from the love of God that's in Jesus Christ. That's it. So... And I remember just, I remember thinking like, well, if I'm a conqueror, that's a pretty good thing. How in the world am I more than a conqueror? I think all he's saying is, hey, David, you might win over these things, but what you need to realize is, no, it's not that you just are victorious over these things. These things that you thought were so against you were the very things I used to bring you life. You're more than a conqueror. 
So what's the application, you guys? What's the application? I'm telling you, this is not something today, Very. this is not something that you have to go do, right? Because do you hear this? Who, who does all this stuff? God does all this stuff. Here's the application. You and I have to think about these things. Everything around you is telling you that this isn't true. Your own mind, the enemy's up here lying. God doesn't love you like that. No way. He's mad at you. He's angry at you. He's lying to you all the time, you guys. Everything around us. And so you and I, if we're going to actually win, we have to fight the fight and we have to set our minds, right, on these things. We have to think about this. I love what, what Tim Keller said was this. He goes, think. Are you afraid? Then you're not thinking. Are you worried? Then you're not thinking. Are you feeling guilty? Then you're not thinking. See the logic of free grace and justification. These aren't dry doctrines. They are life itself. And if you are not living with overwhelming assurance and power, you haven't fully understood them. And that's what I want to, and by the way, and here's what I want to share with you. Ben, you guys can come because we're, we're getting done. Are they around? <laughs> nope. All right. So that's okay. So, so here, here's what I want to tell you. This is super important. For 30 years, man, this battle never rages. Remember who wrote these, who wrote these words? The apostle Paul. <laughs> super apostle. And for me, this is my big, just this last year. I have battled in here more than ever. I have totally struggled to believe that God's favor is still towards me because I can see the things that are in my own heart and I see what I'm doing and I'm not receiving the fruit. And I tell you, man, you, the battle's never going to end and you're going to have to fight it. And so you must think and set your mind on these things. And then I want to tell you, here's the other application. Memorize this passage. Memorize it. Know it. So that as soon as you start thinking wrongly, the Spirit says that the Word of God is the, spirit of the, is, is the sword of the Spirit. So literally all he's saying is if you have this Word right here, right here, then when the lies or the sufferings begin, bam, it's like a sword comes out and you can take it down and you can win. That's how you win. And then you got to fight to believe it and then persevere. Keep fighting the fight of faith. And the other application, you guys, is you just got to praise him. You just got to praise him, right? I mean, when you get this stuff inside your heart, when you see something beautiful, you just have to go, oh, my gosh, this is so good. And as you praise him, it becomes more and more real to you. So that's what we're going to do. So let's all stand together, and we are going to sing these songs that just remind us of what we've just been saying, that you are, you are, you guys, more than conquerors through Christ who loves you. And he loves you right now. We're going to take our offering right now, because that's just part of what we do. When you love him, you just pour this back onto him. But let's take some time to end our service right now, resting and rejoicing in this truth. Let's do it.